Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dash Radio Show with your hosts, Don Wright DeBrance and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on Facebook.com forward slash The Dash Radio. Thanks and enjoy the show. Good evening, everyone. This is Peter Mingles. I am hosting the call today. Dawn is out on the road and she's doing all the stuff that Dawn usually does. And I get a chance to host this one with myself and our special guest. His name is not Doug. <laughs> <laughs> it's 10 and I have an unfair advantage over most of the people listening in 10 yeah. I was listening to an interview you did with someone else so for me this is like a continuation of me listening to the previous thing yeah, well so there you go I, and I, I could tell you I, I am looking forward to this because it seems like we are kindred spirits in many ways we followed similar paths but differently if you know what I mean yeah, and went I, to different schools together. Yeah, we probably went to different schools together, and I might have been in a different class, kind of, but I really can resonate with a lot of the things that I heard you speak about on that previous interview. So for those people that are listening in, you are here on the Dash Radio. We call it the Dash because a long time ago I read a little poem that represented you know, a description of what happened between someone's date of birth and then someone's date that they are done. And when I saw the little poem about the dash and what that represents to everyone and how sometimes insignificant that little dash might be to a total stranger but would be so significant to the person that really knew the story. That's pretty deep, man. That is pretty deep. Yeah. I just said that dash thing is everything in between. And I love working with people just the same as I've heard about your story so far. So I'm really super excited to be able to talk to you on many levels, but we have a little bit of common background that we both kind of grew up in New York. So there's that little bit about us. I grew up on Long Island and eventually worked in Queens. Uh My grandma lived in Brooklyn, and I think you're a Brooklyn boy. Whereabouts in Brooklyn? Crown Heights specifically. Yeah. She lived in a railroad apartment, and for anybody that's listening in, a railroad apartment is like a railroad car, and you walk straight through it. And she was on rent control from a long time ago. My grandparents were, you know, I think they came over with the war, and right. she was Lithuanian, and she lived in an area where the, um, you know, the grocery store literally was the downstairs little deli, the little bodega, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And I I loved the old-style apartments and the smell and, like, all of those types of things as we go. And I have great stories about New York. And I I lived there for a real long time before I left, but it's just something about coming home. So when I hear you and I hear Brooklyn, it's almost like coming home. But relative to the the dash, what we did was we wanted to kind of do something on the radio show to help people fill up from the time that they start and the time that they end. And when I learned about your story, you've entered so many people's lives as a result of the travels that you have had. That's where the common ground was for me because I was in sales and I entered people's homes and I entered people's lives. 
but you did it from a totally different direction. So can you share with people, like I already know who you are because I've been watching this stuff. I know you're a great author, got some really unbelievable stuff going on, um, certainly an abstract thinker for sure, and a fun guy. So can you share with us a little bit about you, how you got started, a little bit about your journey. We'll dig into some of the specific things the way we go. Well, geez, thanks, but I don't know what I can say that's better than that. I mean, oh. you, you pretty much said it as nicely as it could be said. Well, thanks. Uh, I appreciate it. But uh, generally, let's see, what can I tell you? It's been a long dash. So uh, Right. Well, you started a long time ago, and it started with some psychedelic stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, not that I condone it because uh, most of the drug experience is kind of like putting rocket fuel in a moped. Right. You know, it's, it's really inadvisable. But for better or worse, when I was a kid growing up in the 60s, I did about 500 tabs of acid within 10 years, and that kicked me so far out of the box that I never got back in. Uh, ever since then, it's been like, you know, 30, 40 years of meditation and methods that are a lot saner and more stable and more sustainable for keeping my head on my shoulders. But uh, originally, that is what kicked it out. And there were so many of us of that year, Peter, you know. I mean, everybody I talked to who's read Fearless Puppy on American Road. Now, the book has like 80 little chapters in it or something. And everybody, I haven't talked to anybody yet who has read the book and hasn't at least been able to say about one of the chapters I did that. Really? So a lot, now let's, let, me, let me stop there because I know some people are probably going to start looking. So it's fearlesspuppy.org. Right. So fearless as in F-E-A-R-L-E-S-S. Puppy is like puppydog.org. Right. Okay. Right. And uh, at that uh, website, there are sample chapters from the first book, which is Fearless Puppy on American Road, sample chapters from the second book, which is Reincarnation Through Common Sense, um, author bio reviews and a bunch of different stuff. But mostly, most importantly, I should say, is the information about the project. I mean, believe it or not, I never wanted to be an author. This was not on my list of things to do. It seems I've accidentally written a couple of good books. But basically, I mean, if you go to the website and look at the About the Author part, there's a lot of articles there about different charity projects that I've done while being a homeless person myself uh, over the years. And um, this is just another one of those projects. I mean, basically what I am is a broke-ass philanthropist, a lot more than an author. But uh, I, I couldn't figure out how to fund this particular project uh, without winning the lottery, and the odds it had didn't seem too good. So I thought, well, the odds of selling a million books aren't great either, but there's certainly an improvement over the odds of winning the lottery. So I wrote the books, and now I'm starting to market them. And uh, that marketing phase is just in the very beginning. But uh, I've gotten good reviews and good reaction from people. I mean, a lot of folks say that the books have helped them in life and at least been entertaining. So I'm hoping that uh, the books will raise enough money in, in order to fund the project. And which what's, is, the, what's the project, yeah. Right. The project is to fund wisdom professionals, beginning with but not exclusive to Tibetan monks and nuns. Now, the reason for this is, I mean, I've worked over the years – 
as a juvenile counselor and environment for environmental groups and doing different things. And all of these projects that I've worked on seem to have as a main cause the fact that people just aren't thinking. I mean, I mean, if you look at it, it's just practical common sense that you don't poop where you eat. You don't go and hit somebody and expect not to get hit back. I mean, this is all some very basic stuff. So my thought is that to cure all these problems, it's possible to, to cure all of these problems by just injecting some extra wisdom into the planet. So my plan is to raise enough funds to sponsor an increase in wisdom professionals on the planet. And again, this wisdom professional covers anybody who would donate their their lives, which is what Tibet, I mean, Tibetan culture is based on wisdom and compassion. And compassion is wisdom, basically. There's no no difference. I mean, the wisdom comes down to, in my definition, there's a thousand definitions, I guess. <clears throat> but for me, it comes down to you realizing that everything is not about you, that the world doesn't revolve around you, but that there's uh, everybody else in the world has an equal right to happiness and is actually just another part of you, and it's a very much more inter- interdependent place than people give it credit for. So for people who donate their lives to like teaching other people this and learning it themselves, I think they, you know, we need more of them. And so that's the idea behind the whole project, and the project itself is the only reason why the books ever got written. And uh, that's pretty much the story, you know. So, yeah, I mean, if you look at the website, you can see some other projects I did for African famine relief and the homeless, and I work with juvenile delinquents. But all of those things come down to the fact that if people were just generally thinking more instead of acting out of condition reflexes and bad programming that they get from, uh, from like, bygone eras and the media of the present day, uh, things would be a lot better on the planet all around. I hear you there. Now, where did you – now, I, I'm i 50 now, and I was born in 62. Yeah, so I kind of missed the – I missed the drugs thing. You know, yeah. I was busy playing with my Frisbee, riding my bike, and playing football, you know. So for me, it was, you know, a keg of beer after the football game is the stuff that we were mm. in. I kind of missed the whole psychedelic, the psychedelic thing. Yeah, they had drugs when you were growing up. They just weren't as good. By that time, it was already into the quaaludes and the dumbed-down shit instead of the, uh, you know, the, the acid and the expanding stuff. Yeah, and as, a, as an athlete, I was more interested in the working out stuff, and I would do things to help my body and my brain as opposed to do things that would alter it. That's so the I more was, intelligent move, yeah. Right, and, and unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, um, I had some experiences and still do even today because we all deal with people with some of the debilitating things relative to drugs. But when you got, I mean, so not condoning or admitting anything relative to like, oh, shoot, you went through the things that you did before. Um, there was a different era way back then. And maybe the people that are just as old as me or others, when they start reading your book, they're like, I was right there. Like, I know where this guy is coming from. Yeah. This, is the, this is the way it was. So it's almost like coming back home for yeah. many people, I'm sure. Yeah, that's true. And even the younger people, 
can identify with this adventure because it's out on the road hitchhiking around for 30 years and running into different adventures. And uh, maybe it gets done differently nowadays, but nonetheless, people of the age, you know, when I started out doing that stuff, people between 15 and 35, even though they're not from that era, can identify with it because at that age you just have that adventurous spirit. And right. you're, you know, you just go out and go exploring things because uh, that's what you do at that age. Yep. Well, and the the neat thing about what I loved about reading some of your story, I can't wait to hear some more of it as well, was your your days out on the road. So you chose a different path. You chose to be out on the road. You did a lot of hitchhiking. And my background, this is where we're a little bit similar. My background was in direct sales. Oddly enough, I sold with a company called Electrolux, and I would, oh, knock, yeah. on, and I would knock on people's doors, yeah. and I would enter their lives at that time. And Now, I went to college, yeah. and then I knocked on doors, and I, well, I know that my mom doesn't like this because she helped fund my way through college, uh-huh. but I learned more about people and how they worked and about, I would say, life. Yeah. By knocking on a door and getting into their house and entering their life unannounced. Yeah. Like, I showed up and the laundry basket was on the floor. Or I showed up and they were in the middle of watching TV in their pajamas. Or I showed up and I entered their life and we talked about buying something so you had the whole money thing going on. You lived a very similar experience, but you lived it a little bit differently because when you're on the road and you entered people's lives... So share with us about that, because there's a whole spectrum of things, I am sure, you ran across. Matter of fact, I have to do this. I have to take a commercial break first. I kind of get carried away when I get on a roll like this. So let me do our little commercial break as I can find the little recording that I'm supposed to push, and then we're going to come back with you and hear about some of your stories. So hold on one second. I'll be here. I, I got it. You know, they make me push these buttons. And here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's red, I push it, which means we end the episode. So hold on one second. Here we go. Savage Smokes is a new site on the scene dedicated to the trending electronic cigarette industry. If you are looking into e-cigs as an alternative to tobacco and have been disappointed by the ones you picked up at the gas station or you kept your money in your pocket because you didn't know which one to buy, head to SavageSmokes.com for honest and up-to-date electronic cigarette reviews on most e-cigs you see on the shelves. You've been listening to The Dash Radio Show with hosts Don Wright DeBronx and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on Facebook.com forward slash The Dash Radio. And now... Back to the show. Okay, and we are back with the Dash, and we have our special guest. His name is Ten, and last name is Rose. We got a great series of books and stuff like that on fearlesspuppy.org. And before we get into the name of how come fearlesspuppy.org, talk to me about your experiences on the road and the stuff that you learned about life, and give us some good stuff. Well, what you were uh, just saying. Uh, about that when you were going around for Electrolux and going door to door, you learned more than you did in college. is pretty funny because uh, I got this little couple of lines on the back cover that uh, 
sound like the exact same quote, really. Mm-hmm. And it's from the foreword, and I'll just uh, read it. It'll only take a minute or two because uh, it's just a few lines. But I ran away from home when I was 15. I was a drug dealer in Brooklyn, started hitchhiking, and, and kept doing it for like 35 years, and that's basically what the book is all about. So this is from the foreword there. Why would a 15-year-old boy with a New York City native's knowledge of transportation systems shun both public and private transport and opt to spend the next 35 years hitchhiking throughout North America? Why would anyone bypass the relative ease and safety of a bus, train, or a car of his own and open himself up to all manner of possible disaster by braving the whims of fate and the moods of passers-by? I'll tell you why. I've attended eight different colleges and universities. I've learned more in other people's cars. So it's basically the same thing that you just said about going door-to-door as a salesman. And I couldn't agree with you more. You really do. I mean, school knowledge is a wonderful thing, and I've read a lot of books, and uh, the knowledge that you get is, is really instrumental in helping you through life. But that's just knowledge. That doesn't turn to wisdom until you get the experiential part of it down. All right. So that experiential knowledge is what makes the wisdom and, and the book learning is kind of the background for that. Right. And you need kind of, it's nice to have kind of both. And sometimes when we see people go from extremes, all books and then not as much street sense, they're not as well balanced, I guess the way it would be. Right. But what I really loved about working with people is, number one, I found that most people were nice. Most people, after I sold myself and they learned a little bit about me, would help in mm-hmm. one or any ways. I mean, they literally. Um, just one example. I was in very. It was very cold outside. I was. In, it was actually in New York. I was. Uh, I had to hold the vacuum box over my head as I was shimmying between two buildings. And my jacket got ripped on one of those cyclone-type fences, ripped the whole thing to shreds. I couldn't wear it. The very next house I went into, the woman saw that my jacket was ripped. She says, hold on. Now, this is just a total stranger. I knocked on her door. I got in her house. She saw my jacket was ripped. She asked me what happened. I told her that I was, I told her what happened. I apologized for it being a little bit ripped and maybe even the fluffs flying all over the place. And she said, hold on one second, and she brought out for me an old army jacket that her husband had that made that was sentimental value for her, and she says, please have this and keep it. So I can't tell you the amount of graciousness and great stories and whether I needed some help or needed some whatever, or I did the same thing in return for them. Life on the road was a blessing. Now, yeah. sometimes the environment sucked. You know, like it's raining and it's pouring or whatever. You step on dog poop or something like that, and you got those (laughs) stories too. But the reality was I loved working with people because most people were nice. And if I ran across somebody that wasn't, I could always leave. So how does that compare to maybe some of the stories that you had living on the road? Yeah, well, 35 years and over 100,000 miles of road travel, you're going to meet some jackasses as well as nice people. The good part is that most people who will bother to pull over for you in the first place are pretty nice or they wouldn't have pulled over for you. Mm -hmm. And actually, I only had one life-threatening incident, and that's described in the book pretty early on. And outside of that, I mean, I had to get into 
get maybe literally a half a million different cars, you know. Wow. To have one incident that was actually life-threatening is really not bad for odds, you know. Not at all, because if you were living a regular life, you probably would be talking about more than one incident that was life-threatening. If I had stayed in Brooklyn, there would have been one a day instead yeah. of one over in 35 years. You know? That is for sure. So yeah. was there any common element that happened? Like, say, for instance, let's talk about that, because nowadays people can't really do the hitchhiking thing because it's like it's a whole law. different. It's a whole different world. It's, it, it's not the law. It's the attitude. It's the fear that's been instilled in people. All right, they used to be more of a trusting nature. They used to be uh, people felt more comfortable with themselves, and they were able to come out and say things like, "We don't want this war going on. Uh, we want women to have equal rights. We want civil rights." A lot of things got done in that era, besides drugs, you know, and uh, and and that comfort zone isn't there. There's been like 40 or 50 years of just totally negative programming that's been fed to us. Everything is something we're supposed to be afraid of as as opposed to enjoy. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's not the legal aspect of hitchhike. It's, it's the social aspect. You know, people are looking for that axe murder all the time now as opposed to to what they used to be looking for. I mean, it was a rolling party back in the old days. Every Volkswagen van, you know, van was a guaranteed ride. I got picked up by one woman and spent two years with her. Wow. You know? I mean, wow. there's, uh, you know, so I, I think the reason why there's less, less hitchhiking now is that the trust factor between human beings has gone downhill. Right. Well, yeah, without sounding, without sounding, uh, I don't know what word to use, so I won't use a word, but without sounding like a jerk, it's like every priest molests children, every nanny beats the kids that she watches, every, you know, guy is a pervert, every whatever is a whatever. Yeah, well, that's why I haven't watched the news in 30 years, because the human central nervous system was not designed to take in every bad thing that's happened on the planet in a half an hour. And if you get bombarded by all of this crap, then your brain is going to start running in that direction. I mean, it's a simple matter of programming. That's what meditation is. You're programming yourself for a, for a more positive course of action. That's what study is. You're programming yourself to have the knowledge to accomplish a task later on, uh, no so, matter what you're studying for. So where did you go from, like, for instance, starting the, the thing on the road and the yeah. type of person you were to this Tibetan stuff? Because that's um, kind of that's kind of deep and deep and very deep. Well, it's been a long dash, as I said. But okay, uh, you know, um, I, you, the, the psychedelic certainly opened certain portions of my brain that would not otherwise have been open. So, as far as like viewing spiritual aspects. True, it's temporary, it's volatile, it's dangerous. I mean, there was a year and a half that I was a junkie and hung out with 14 other junkies. There's only two of us left alive after a year and a half. So I lost almost all my friends there. So this is a dangerous way to do it, and I certainly don't recommend it to anyone. But for better or worse, that opened that whole psychedelic experience before the downer experience. Uh, did open up some circuitry that uh, led me to some 
spiritual inclinations and it didn't go right to the Tibetan either, you know, there's, and it's not totally Tibetan that I'm into. I mean, I lived in a temple in Thailand, which is a different brand of Buddhism. I was over there for half a year. Taoism, Native American wisdom uh, I was the first thing I got into, really, just reading up and looking at it. Tao Te Ching, the Taoism and uh, Confucianism and uh, Plato, Aristotle. I mean, all these folks are out there. I've watched so many Deepak videos so many times I could almost, and Dalai Lama videos, that I could almost pronounce them word for word. And, uh, you know, anything and everything that Mother Teresa ever did that's on video I've seen. So, uh, yeah, that's all those different influences. It did start with the psychedelics, but um, that all just led to one step after another, after another, after another. And these things are progressive. I mean, if you keep pointing yourself in a certain direction, and it doesn't matter how raggedy the place you start from is. That's completely inconsequential. If you keep and try it sometime, point yourself at something and keep putting one foot in front of another, you're going to have to get there. You have to get there. And that's what happened with this spirituality. I went from crazy as a kid, but having my mind open a little bit, just slowly but surely in the direction of more sanity, and, uh, you know, it, it just keeps getting better every day. And by no means where I want my mind to be altogether, I don't think anybody is, because the potential within any human being is just, you know, incredible. I mean, if you peel the layers of garbage off your consciousness and psyche that have been fed on there, we really have... You know, what from a distance looked like superhuman potential under there, and every person has it. It's just a matter of getting rid of that layer, uh, uh, layers, I should say, one on top of the other, of garbage that we've been fed since birth. I mean, not all the information was bad. Of course, some of it was real good. But uh, there's been a lot of fear and, and, like, anger is considered normal, jealousy is considered. If you yell at some people on the street now, we both lived in New York. And if you yell at somebody on the street in, in, a, in a Southeast Asian com- country, they look at you like you're a monkey throwing poop balls. Mm-hmm. This is, like, completely socially unacceptable. Whereas in New York, and not just New York, I mean, any big city, where people are frustrated and, and and you know, there's a certain segment of the population that's just had it and they can't take it anymore. You see people yelling at themselves, much less at other people. That's right, absolutely. You know, walking down the street and actually yelling at themselves, much less yelling at other people. If this happened in Southeast Asia, somebody would go up and try to get them some help or some medication or something. But this is considered normal because of the constant influx of garbage that we're getting poked into our brains so um you know it's just a simple matter of reprogramming and peeling off those layers of caca that's on top of your personality because what's underneath there is really uh it has amazing potential and that's a great thing we're going to we're going to take a little commercial break we'll be on the other side and then i want to talk about fear and fearless puppies so here we go Do you run a home-based business? Are you looking under every rock for your next superstar diamond in the rough? Are you looking for leads in all the wrong places? 
Look no more. If you're a seasoned entrepreneur, you know you need the right tools in place to run your online business effectively. If you're brand new at your business and you are looking for top-notch training that will take you and your sales team to the next level, for email marketing, autoresponders, lead management systems, and more, Network Leads is what you need to prospect, communicate, manage, and support your customers and sales organizations. Just go to www.networkleads.com forward slash the dash radio and register for your free lead management system today. You've been listening to the Dash Radio Show with hosts Don Wright DeBronx and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on Facebook.com forward slash The Dash Radio. And now... Back to the show. <clears throat> okay, and we are back. This is Peter Mingles and our special guest, Ten, never known as Doug Rose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ten is short for Tens and Karma Trinley. And that's and explained. I, I know in, you say it, and I know I hear it, but say it slower. That's why I go by ten, because how are you going to ask somebody to pronounce that? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, ten is a nice short version of it. But when you go through certain Buddhist initiations, and I did this like in 1981 or something, uh, yeah, they give you a Tibetan Buddhist name. Now, it's always a name for you to live up to. They never call anybody like idiot that pukes on his own shoes or anything like that you know it's always something for you to live up to and and i like that idea because my name literally translated means the activity of the buddha teaching now it's much harder to be a jackass when you're walking around with a name like the activity of the buddha teaching so i try to keep that in mind and if i go by 10 Right away, it triggers Tenzin Karma Trinley in there. I know what the full name is, and that reminds me that I'm supposed to be behaving a little bit better sometimes, you know? Wow. Well, that's good. All right, so, so that's what the name thing is all about. Now, the other thing you were asking about is fear and why fearless puppy in that. Um, if you look at the back of the book, it says right on there, fear sucks, and that's a theme that runs through the website as well. What I'm talking about here is not intelligent fear. If you're in a war zone and people are firing at you and you're afraid and you run away and get out of the way of the bullet, then that's not the kind of fear that I think is a problem here. Uh, If somebody's chasing you with a knife and you run away, if a car is bearing down on you, you get scared and jump out of the way. That's intelligent fear. But most of the problems that people have stem from fears that they're running away and nothing's chasing them, you know? I mean, there's, it's imaginary stuff that has been put into their brain. I mean, how many times you walk down the street and you hear footsteps behind you and you get scared? Right. Now, most of the people I know who feel like that have never in their lives been mugged. Or maybe once out of a million trips down the street that something bad has happened. Nonetheless, every single time that you're walking down the street and you hear those footsteps behind you, you're not thinking Boy Scout, you know. You're thinking Mugger. So, 
at that point, I mean, your life gets run by fear eventually. It's always, oh, I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to make the bills. And how many times have you seen husbands and wives being afraid that the other person is cheating on them and it's completely unfounded and it's not happening? These are manufactured fears that people make up in their own brains, and that's the kind of fear that I'm talking about is like the real problem. Now, why did you call it fearless puppy? Where's the puppy part? Um, yeah, well, I like dogs. <laughs> and, and dog is a kind of, you know, in, in Brooklyn, a lot of uh, me and my friends would call each other dog sometimes. Uh-huh. And uh, But I didn't feel like I was a full-grown dog yet. Okay. And especially not during the entirety of this trip from being 15 years old and getting out on the road hitchhiking, which is where the whole story starts, you're definitely a puppy at that point. That's for sure. So that's uh, that's where that comes from. I try to keep in mind to only be afraid of rational, you know, have rational, realistic fears like of bullets and cars bearing down on me. But... Uh, at the same time, I didn't feel like a big dog yet when I started out on the trip, so uh, puppy kind of seemed apropos for the situation. Excellent. Okay, good. Now, some of the, I don't know if it's a chapter or a subtitle, but one that says Defeating the Bait and Switch. Right, right. What? That's one of the sample chapters on the website there. So what's, what's for, that about? Um, well, yeah, I, I would direct people to read it because it's a okay. little bit complicated, but okay. I can tell you very briefly because it is a, a major societal problem in another scope. I addressed it as a interpersonal, just between two people kind of thing. But uh, basically it's when you're being all right and trying to be nice and somebody else or something else or some other entity is trying to pressure you into becoming something that you aren't, all right? Um, when somebody is nasty to you and then you become something that you hate and you start getting nasty back to them because this person was nasty to you, you've been baited and switched. I got it. All right? So if you're going to work and you're real nice and trying to be friendly with everybody and just get through your day and, some like nasty person comes in and they're always like needling you and giving you a hard time and then they turn you into somebody that starts yelling at them and your blood pressure is up now you've screwed up your whole day besides you don't look too good in front of your co-workers because you're acting like this other idiot uh, you've been baited and switched and i think that's a lot of what's happened to humanity as a whole but it certainly happens. It's more recognizable on the individual level. Yeah, that's for sure. That is yeah. for sure. I appreciate that. Okay. Um, so then there was the there's you have the other book as well. So what's the other book? The other book is called Reincarnation Through Common Sense, and uh, I'll explain the, what's what I mean by reincarnation in just a minute because it's not your standard definition. But uh, the reincarnation through common sense is uh, also a true story. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's even truer than Fearless Puppy. Fearless Puppy, I had to change the introduction to say based on true events because I was so whacked out during several of those years that I can't, like, uh, claim complete accuracy for all of the stories. I kind of lost a couple of details and switched them around, people are telling me. But Fearless Puppy is still basically a true story. 
but there's a couple of acid tweaks in there where a couple of facts got cross-referenced. But uh, the reincarnation through common sense, that's completely true. And that's about a guy who's over in Southeast Asia and uh, lived in a temple for half a year. Now, the difference between this book and I mean, there's a lot of white boy Indonesian temple stories, but the difference is that uh, I didn't go over there to study Buddhism and had no plans at all of doing such or going and staying in a temple. I just got all screwed up and uh, had a bunch of bad incidents happen to me. I'm not going to go into it because that's in the book. I don't want to give the whole book away. But anyways, I was basically adopted by the monks and nuns of this forest temple out in the boonie lands because they felt sorry for me and because they are wisdom professionals. I mean, they, they their lives is being compassionate to things. They train themselves at nothing else but being compassionate and wisdomous. So they took me in, let me stay there for half a year, and the head monk said, you know, you don't have to study any Buddhism if you don't want to. You don't have to do anything here except relax, feel comfortable. I'm your older brother, all the other monks and nuns. You can consider as your family, as your brothers and sisters. If you want to go swim at the beach over there, go do that. And if you want to come in and meditate with us sometime, you can do that. And and so it tells the experience of being there and how a basically psychotic person uh, got turned back into a human being just by his association with these people. And when I say just by association, I mean it because nobody there spoke English and I didn't speak the language. And only the head monk spoke a little bit of English and he was on the road most of the time because he was a real popular guy and they always wanted to go here and there around the country to different meetings. So basically, the the book is unusual because it's from that in a temple but not going there to study Buddhism point of view. And it's also a book that was basically written about silence because we, uh, nobody spoke each other's language there. Wow. So, so it's a little different than your average book of that genre, I guess. Wow, that is an interesting story. And how did you find yourself there? Well, I just went there to go there. I just wanted to, like, go see something different than America. I've been in America almost all my life, and uh, I was about 50 at the time and uh, thought it would be a good thing to go somewhere else. I did a bunch of research and discovered that Thailand was, first of all, pretty much about uh, 100% on the other side of the world, about as far from us as you can get. Mm-hmm. And also that it had never been conquered by a European power. So, and Thailand is one of the few countries in the entire world that's never been conquered by a European power. Even we have, you know. But uh, so, so they would have more of a uh, of a native, more of a realistic, separate culture that hadn't been like swallowed up by. You know, the the way the world is going nowadays with everybody. I mean, they can call China communist all you want, but that's about as capitalist as a place gets. Every mm-hmm. place starting to melt into being the same neighborhood, basically. And that place was a little different because it had never been conquered by a European power. So it didn't have those you know, 100 or so years of, of that kind of influence on it. So that's why I picked it to go there. 
Wow. What a great story. I'm going to go back to um, the parts uh, that are maybe sensitive to me relative to the drug addiction. Right. Um, I have a son who is struggling with that. And, you know, I my brain doesn't work that way. I don't really know how I would have ever gotten into a situation like that. I don't know how he got into a situation like that, but it happened. Um, mm-hmm. For you, it was part of being, you know, part of the social stuff. For him, I don't know whether it was being cool or whatever. But drug addiction changes people's brains. And you're really, somebody who's never been through it before, I don't really think can fix it. And it's really, I mean, it's a, it's a tough thing to come out of. And like mm-hmm. you had mentioned, many of your friends didn't. Right. Uh, so there's no really good ending of a lot of stories for many people. And we're, I'm in it right now relative to the stuff that's happening with us personally, and it's not an easy thing. No. How, did you, how did you manage it? How did you get out of it? Was it just pure determination? Did you get a hand? I mean, what happened? Um, all of it kind of – I just decided I'm going to die if, this, if I keep this up. And uh, watched enough people die, like most of them in my group there that I was hanging out with. And I took nothing from where I was, uh, except the woman who I was living with at the time. Not even a T-shirt. I got all new clothes when I got away, and I just left the city I was in and went out to the country. And uh, completely got away from the neighborhood and the same people and the same hangouts, because of the stories I hear of people who like quit and go back to it, the problem always is, I mean, it's just like people who go to jail for a crime or whatever. If you go away from a situation and then come right back and start hanging out with the same people in the same atmosphere, and these are your friends, and that's where you go, you're going to run into the same problems. But uh, I just completely dissociated from it and that wasn't the end of drug use i mean it took like 20 years after that for of it waning off a little bit you know first i gave up the heroin right away but then it took like you know more and more time until i give up the pills and then more and more time until i give up the hard alcohol and after a while it was just beer wine and ganja and so it, it was a process more than just a like snap i quit kind of thing you know uh but i think the major impetus for that project was for that process was uh initially getting away from everything that was associated with that process now i i think a lot of people run into this difficulty because there's a big hole in most human beings where life used to be. I mean, the society is feeding people so many mixed messages, especially kids growing up. All right, You go to church on Sunday, and you're supposed to love each other and be kind to everybody, um, or on Saturday or Friday, whenever you go. <laughs> and you're supposed to be kind and wonderful to everybody. And then you hear about how, you know, there's this war and we're going to go over and bomb these people, even though they never did anything to us. And then you hear how honesty is the best policy and all the leaders of the country are caught, you know. I mean, for anybody who grew up in the Reagan administration, there were hundreds of those people brought up on indictments and arrested and put in prison for corruption. And uh, 
you know, meanwhile, you everybody's telling you to do one thing and they're doing the other, which it seems sometimes is what this country was founded on. You know, as a bunch of rich white slave owners who were revolting to be free. I mean, you can't get any more contradictory than that. And I think a lot of problem in the society, and especially with kids growing up and they're looking for an escape and turn to the drugs, are these mixed messages. They're not getting anything direct that tells them, like, do this, and they can see it being done, you know, because everything they see being done is the opposite of what they're told to do. And this this can, like, you know, bend your mind to the point where you're wondering you don't trust anything anymore. And then once the trust factor is gone, you know, between you and life, you you got a little bit of a difficult time ahead of you to get it back. And then, like you said, that hole has to be filled by something. Right, right. So like, you see this obesity epidemic. There's a lot of people that fill the hole with food. A lot of people fill it with gambling, alcohol, and drugs, what have you. But that whole, I mean, I think it's a its a rip from being pulled in different directions by the truth and, you know, the different versions of the truth that you're being given. I mean, there's one truth that tells you what to do, and another truth, you're seeing what's actually getting done, you know. And it's as bizarre a schism as any, you know, I mean, especially when you're growing up, you got that soft spot in the back of your head, and you're still Santa Claus eligible and stuff, and everybody's telling you to be so wonderful, and you see all these terrible things happening, which uh, any kid does if you turn on a TV, and kid can see it, you know, a hundred people getting murdered in a day, and uh, meanwhile he's being told that life is grand. Go ahead and have some fun. Right. Yeah. You know. Yep, yeah, the contradiction for sure. Okay, good. We're going to take our last commercial break. We're going to be right back, so hold on one second, guys. We're here with 10. And if you want to go take a look at the website, go to fearlesspuppy.org, fearlesspuppy.org. Let me push a button. Are you in a rut about your taxes? No more with this simple template. Your business deserves the best, and so do you. Try our simple bookkeeping formula. You'll look organized, find your receipts, and you might even get a write-off. One thing is for sure, you'll thank us. Visit bit.ly forward slash the dash taxes. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash D-A-S-H taxes. You've been listening to the Dash Radio Show with hosts Don Wright DeBronx and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, Hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on Facebook.com forward slash The Dash Radio. And now, back to the show. We are back. This is Peter Mingles, and I have the honor of being able to interview Ten Rose. Ten uh, is the pleasure is mine, but oh, man. nice I, to be I, here. I, I really appreciate you being here, and I love the stories. The stories for me are everything. And I know that you, you said you were, in your hitchhiking days, you entered somewhere like hundreds of thousands of people's lives. And, and that must have been really something. And is there a common theme of what would normally happen? You know, like the more they started talking, the more they loosened up. 
the more they started talking, the more they tell you some deep things, you know, all of those types of things. Could you share with us some of the common things that you might have experienced? Yeah, well, you didn't even have to wait until, like, the more they started talking because being a hitchhiker is kind of like being a bartender and that people will come and tell you things. As a matter of fact, I had people pick me up, and a lot of them, just because they wanted to talk to somebody they'd never see again. You know, right. they wanted to get something off their chest. So uh, it it is quite a bit like, you know, what you hear about bartenders, that people go in and talk to them and say things to them that they would never say to their family or anything. So uh, I did get a lot of those kind of stories, you know, from folks. And, they you know, a lot of people do open up to you. And you find that everybody basically wants the same thing. Everybody wants to be happy, even the meanest and nastiest of people. They're not doing that on purpose. They're doing that because they've had their brains twisted and screwed over, and they don't know how to get out of it, maybe, and they're stuck in it, and it's become a pattern for them. But uh, nobody is happy and miserable. I mean, nobody is miserable and, and greedy on purpose, you know. And nobody causes trouble for themselves and others on purpose. I mean, it's all... No, keep going. Yeah, it's all a a matter of conditioning that has gone wrong or something. Because, yeah, you talk about common denominator amongst the people I've met. Everybody really wants to be happy, and they want a better world for their children. And they just... Another thing that's common is that, oh, not amongst everybody but amongst a large number of people, is that they feel powerless to do anything about this. You know, they don't know what they can do because they've been getting so many mixed messages. They see so many weird things. I grew up in a mafia neighborhood, and I know people who killed somebody on Saturday and then went to church on Sunday and thought they were going to buy off God as if he was a judge with a stained glass window or something, you know. And, uh, you know, when when kids are growing up seeing that, you lose faith in the system and you start feeling disempowered and you start getting the idea that you can't do anything. And that's where the meditation and the spirituality and in the early years, the psychedelics came in handy as they kicked. They can kick you outside of that box. They can put you in touch with the better part of yourself with the part of yourself that knows it can do something. It can have a positive influence on your own life and on the lives of others. And actually, most of the time, the best way to have an influence on your own life is to have an influence on the lives of others. And I would recommend that for a lot of drug addicts because instead of concentrating on your own personal problems, if you realize how much worse somebody else's suffering is, and there's plenty of, I don't care who you are, there's plenty of people out there who are suffering worse than you, no matter how bad you got it, and you start focusing on helping those people, you'd be surprised how that lightens up your malfunctions and how that affects your mentality, how your self-esteem grows from knowing that you help somebody else and uh, the connectedness which is when we're really alive. I mean, it's the interdependence of everything that's the most obvious thing on the planet, I think. And that connectedness just brings you out of your own funk sometimes and can help immensely. You know. What a great answer. 
What a great answer. So you found that most people want to be happy, that most people want a better world, that most people are generally nice, and sometimes when you hear their story and you walk in their shoes, you understand maybe why they're the way they are. But there was an overriding theme of somewhat helplessness, meaning like they couldn't get outside of that box and figure out how they could change the world themselves. For themselves. Yeah, or even their own lives. I mean, I heard so many people say, ah, I'd like to go and, you know, uh, become a whatever it is, become a musician or become a painter, but I'm stuck here and I got to, you know, pay the bills and I've been in this factory for 20 years and I hate it, but it provides a check. And, uh, you know, I can see the logic in that to a certain extent, but they don't have any faith in the ability to get outside that box and be able to support their family in some manner that's not going to give them a heart attack, you know, or or a brain tumor or whatever. Do you know what time most people in America die of fatal heart incidences? Uh, I've heard it said it was like a Monday. This is this is was in the American Medical Journal, American Medical Association Journal. So I'm not making this up. Nine o'clock Monday morning, there are more fatal heart attacks than wow. any other time. People would actually rather die than go back to work, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they feel trapped. There is no way out. They have to go to this place that they hate just to satisfy the financial necessities of the family, which is, you know, satisfying the necessities of the family is a very noble and necessary thing to do. But not if it's going to kill you. You, right. you. you should be able to see the logic in trying to find another way to satisfy the needs of your family without you dying because your family doesn't want you to die rescuing them. I mean, I know martyrdom is real popular in Western culture, but it's a played out idea and uh, it needs to be eliminated, you know. Right. There's no reason why folks can't be nice to everybody else while they're being nice to themselves. And uh, too many people think it's an either or option and uh, they don't recognize that win win possibility where they can do what they like and change everything that's bothering them and everything that's making them unhappy and still get their action covered, you know. Now, you've touched the lives of more people than most people ever will. And in all different sorts and situations all across this country and, you know, some parts of the globe, we call our radio station The Dash. It's that little thing, that little dash between the day you started and the day it's over and how you fill it that really makes a difference. From your humble opinion, how many people really live their dash? Uh, Percentages. Everybody lives it completely at some moment of their life. I don't know anybody that hasn't had that one time where they scored the winning touchdown or where they said just the right thing at the meeting, or where they said the right thing to a person that they could see that person light up and know that they helped their lives. The problem is people get to look at these incidences as a rarity, as as an unusual thing, as an anomaly in their lives, instead of looking at it as, you know, what life should consistently be built of. And truly, we are capable of having a life that's consistently built 
of the good moments, the productive moments, the altruistic moments, you know. But uh, people, again, have been, you know, brought up with so many mixed messages and, and confused ideas and bad programming that that they don't have faith in their own ability. They don't have faith in the ability of the system to support them uh, in their endeavor to, like, try to keep more of their moments that positive. And, and I think, uh, again, just there's nothing unusual about me. I'm just a regular guy that bothered to take the time and trouble to peel off a some layers of caca that were put on me, and believe me, I had a bunch of them there, and I'm by no means done with trying to peel them off. It's an ongoing process. But I think the advantage I might have is that I realize that there's something under there. I mean, I, a lot of people are like, they get thrown in a river, and the current is taking them downstream, and it's a wide river, and they don't realize that there's a bank on either side that they can swim to and get up and get on the bank and start doing whatever they want with their lives and doing something more productive and kinder and, and more decent with their lives because they're caught in the stream and the flow of what's going on. They were born into this system of information and, and, and what they're getting fed is the current of the river that's taking them down and they're just getting washed away and they feel like they have no control. And if there were no banks to crawl out on, they might well be right. But uh, but there are, and people don't realize that because they've been taught this is it. You know, that's just the way it is, and they don't realize that that's just the way it is. Is something that's built every day by you personally. It's not something that got handed to you, and you have no choice about it. Well, great information. This is Ten Rose. Uh, he's got a website called fearlesspuppy.org. We're going to make sure it's up on the dashradio.com for sure. Dawn will be back with us next week. She was out of town. I'll tell you, Ten, it was a great interview. Thank you very much. I'm sure we will keep in touch. Uh, Thanks the for pleasure being here. was mine. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. At The Dash, we know that your time is precious, and your choosing to spend it with us means a lot. To get reminders for our live shows, Click follow on the top of any show. Also, subscribe to our blog for articles, inspirations, and great products and services for your ever-growing business at thedashradio.com. For upcoming mobile experience, text DASH to 37404. And don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash thedashradio. Again, thanks for spending some of your Dash with us. We look forward to talking with you again soon.